You know, it's important to prepare for crisis scenarios because sometimes your knee-jerk reaction is not the right one. When it comes to driving, do you know what is appropriate when you see this? Let me tell you what the knee-jerk reaction is to do. The knee-jerk reaction is to swerve. But, studies would say, it is better actually to keep going forward than to swerve. It is better to, again, interact with that deer in that way um, because your car can handle it. Whereas if you swerve, you could enter into traffic or a guardrail or a tree. Um, Be prepared for that. But that's different than preparation for this one. Do you know what to do here? Here you stop. Here you swerve. You will not do well uh, encountering a thousand pound moose on the road. Uh, This is different kind of preparation for that scenario. It's interesting, it's not just that driving we prepare for, but we prepare children. I don't know if anyone remembers the tornado and fire drills. Do they still have those going on? And maybe there are some who remember when it was the bomb shelter drills. And now, unfortunately, the age we live in, there are the active shooter drills. Have you heard of these? But we got to be prepared. Crisis happens. And if we don't think beforehand what to do, our nerves could get us to do the wrong thing. In fact, I always wanted the training of like a James Bond where I could like kind of sleep but not really sleep with like a gun under my head and always be ready to like protect the family. If someone could give me that training, that's what I'd want. But as I bring all this up, I sometimes wonder, are we preparing for the right things? You know, we're preparing kids to work hard as we tell them to go get a job or have chores at home. We're preparing kids to handle money as we say, here's a budget and here's how to do that. We prepare for sports and for all sorts of things. But, but the question is, are we preparing them for the right things? On a day like today, we see what the greatest preparation is. We should prepare to stand for Jesus. And so today on Confirmation Sunday, what we've done is we've spent two years with kids teaching them all about God. God the Father, the Creator. God the Son who saved us. God the Holy Spirit who works faith in our hearts. And this preparation, it's so essential. You know why? Crisis is coming. It's not a deer, it's not a moose, not a tornado. But what we know as Christians living in America is that for many of us, it's going to get worse, not better. I don't know if you've done any studies about Christians in America and our society, but many said for a long time we lived in a post-Christian society, that there was a heyday, but it's not anymore. In fact, I was reading a book called The Benedict Option, and uh, a phrase really struck me. And I wanted to share it with you about the world we live in and the world our children are going to be living in. It said, Christian Americans are going to have to come to terms with the brute fact that we live in a culture, one in which our beliefs make increasingly little sense. And so that's for our children as they go off to work, as they date, they're going to have values and things that they do that people are going to scratch their heads like, you do what? You're going to go and have conversations, and and they're going to wonder, why do you go to church on a weekend, or or, or why follow, why commit? Because the rest of the world increasingly will not understand the faith 
what we value and how we live. So how do we stay prepared to stand for Jesus? Because we know it's going to get worse. Well, here, I, I think a good answer. Um, confirmation Sunday reminds me of my own, and uh, my father was able to pick my confirmation verse. Uh, does anyone remember their confirmation verse, by the way? Raise your hands. Okay. That's, a, that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a confirmation verse, it's cool to have like a life verse. So just for what it's worth. Um, but, but my dad gave me an answer for how to stay prepared. And, and this was my confirmation verse. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And as a pastor, I've had so much fun with this last part saying, we have truth that will set you free. In fact, if you're just joining us because uh, it's confirmation, if you're a guest or physical, here's the greatest truth. The love of God overcomes your sin. The, the cross of Jesus speaks peace to our souls. That salvation is not about being good. It's all about trusting in Jesus and what he's done. And that's what we have as far as the truth that gives us peace and sets us free. And there's so much truth. Like at times of death, we know an empty tomb means that we don't have to fear death. Though our loved ones or we might face it, God has overcome that. Or during COVID-19, when we're wondering what's all going on and who's in control, we know God's still in control, still seated at the right hand of the Father. We have truth that sets us free. But we can't take it for granted. Because this passage of comfort that my father gave me was also a passage of reminder of what I need to be doing. In it, it said this word. Can you say this word out loud? It said, hold. And what this kind of reminds me of is when someone yelled, hang on. Now, I usually heard that in a conversion van. Do you remember the conversion vans? They were beautiful things. Uh, you could put the back down, and it made like a full-size bed. And uh, back in the day, we were more safety belt lax. Do you remember those days? Some of you do. Um, like smoking. Anyway, uh, don't smoke. Anyway. Um, tangent. I'd be able to be careful. Um, but anyway, uh, my dad would be driving big turn. Hang on! And that means that we were going to go rolling or sliding the siblings in the back, right? Because that was going on at the time, right? And, and so what I hear here, if it's true, it's going to get worse. I hear Jesus telling you like none other, hang on! There's going to be twists and turns. Hang on! And so how we do that is we continue to gather. And though it might look different, maybe it's in a screen, maybe it's in this place we continue to gather. But, but I wonder, if all you do is hear about Jesus for one hour of the week, with all that's going on, is that going to be enough? I don't know about you, but I can hear a news story that disrupts my faith in two seconds. And so I think this hanging on has to do with a commitment to seeing God regularly, not only in worship, but reading our Bibles, praying to God, and doing whatever we can to hang on to Jesus. So that's what I want to talk to you about, and it's really the context for our lesson today. So I want to give you just kind of the background of our lesson. Um, Peter is writing to Christians who at the time needed to hang on because there was great persecution. Uh, during that day, they could be killed for the faith. Um, so talk about a culture that, that didn't believe and didn't want to believe. 
And so Peter's writing into them and saying, this is how you respond. This is how you react to a culture that, that doesn't want your message, that doesn't want your answer. And, and so as we turn to the book of 1 Peter, out of respect and honor for the word of God, um, I'm just going to invite you to stand as we hear these words. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for the sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to imprisoned spirits. These are the powerful words that we get to pick apart in our time together. Um, before you sit down, can you say out louder to someone next to you, hang on to Jesus? Hang on to Jesus. That was good. That was, you, you guys brought your A-game. Please, please sit. So I don't know about you guys, but I had an amazing week, um, partly because we call the second pastor and he's coming this way. Uh, we'll talk about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and partly also because I had a chance to witness an adult baptism that was conducted my, by my brother in, uh, Minnie, in, the, in Minnesota. And um, I want to give you just a little bit of this story. Um, the baptism was for a man named Eric, and my friend Rick had been in a two-year relationship with him um, as far as a friendship goes. Um, Rick is 60 years old, but he's like bodybuilder buff. He is just ripped. Um, I don't know his secret. He just is really disciplined. And while he was lifting in the gym, um, Eric noticed how he handled his body, how in shape he was, and he admired that. So they struck up a conversation, and uh, Rick got to know that Eric needed hip surgery, full hip replacement. He's young 30s, but that's because he served in the armed forces, and everything that he had to do there uh, really wore out his hips. So Rick, who loves to help, especially when it comes to the body, talked to him about a workout plan. I tell you what, um, gave a workout plan to this man and uh, recovered in an incredible way. The doctors were amazed at and how he could get through the physical therapy, how he was ready for surgery because of all that he had done. And now he's starting to become ripped just like uh, Rick is. But anyway. And um, they've been working out for two years, and it came to a point where Eric asked, or noticed, said, Rick, you have something that I want. To which Rick was then able to share what made him that way. He was able to share the faith. From there, they started talking about God and basically went through a starting point class and conversation. They talked about baptism, and Eric said, man, I'd like to be baptized. So on Wednesday, in Walker, Minnesota, my brother baptized Eric, and it's just something we hugely celebrate as the grace of God. In fact, in 1 Peter, it talks a little bit about baptism it compares it to kind of like during Noah's Ark, this, this ark that you can be in, in a sinful world where baptism is the saving unit that draws us into the family. And Eric again received that. But what this reminded me of is the verses we've already read. When we came to our verses, it says, Always be prepared to give an answer 
to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, in the story, Rick was prepared. And I suppose the first time he met with Eric, he could have said, hey, I'm a Christian, and here's what you need to know. And, and Eric could have been drinking out of a fire hose, and I guess that's one approach. But Rick showed respect. In this relationship, he was ongoingly praying for that opportunity so that when that, that, that comment arose, Rick knew what to say next. He had respect for Eric. And also, Eric had respect for Rick. Would they have spoken together? Would, would they have met if, if Rick didn't handle himself in the way he did? And so if you're taking notes today, this is the first takeaway. I think we should be prepared to, to answer by living a life worthy of respect. Respect. Because if anything this year taught us, it taught us that if you don't respect someone, it's hard to hear them. You ever watch that news channel? And that person is talking? And you have such little respect for that person that whatever they're saying is like, ah, I don't, noise. That happens, doesn't it? Whereas on the other end, if, if you truly admire, if you truly respect, it's then that your ears kind of open. And so I want to follow up with another question. By the way you live your life, are you gaining an audience for the gospel? Are people drawn to the way you live? The words that you speak? How you interact with your coworkers? Or are we limiting that audience? I remember going to a church conference and um, they gave this principle that I totally agreed with, that people might be offended by the message of Jesus, but may they not be offended by what the church does. So again, we're okay if people are offended by what Jesus said because we're just ambassadors for a different king and kingdom. But may it not be that we weren't respectful or gentle. May it not be that we were so disorganized. May it not be that the coffee was bad and the furniture was outdated or whatever it was. They can be offended by Jesus, but not us. But I don't know about you. When I do some self-reflection, this is so hard. Because in the way that I speak or act, it's, it's hard to gain that audience through perfect living. At times, we say the wrong thing. At times, instead of being gentle and patient with someone who's new, we can be condescending as Christians, can't we? I can't believe you asked that question. At times, we can engage in, like, battle and warfare, you know, wars over words and, and not giving respect. And so... I invite you to repent along with me for all the times our actions and attitudes didn't gain an audience. For all the times we didn't faithfully represent Jesus, whether in word or otherwise. What's so great is the example Jesus set for us. You know, it talked about Jesus in the words of Isaiah this way. That a bruised reed he would not break and a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. Now, so what was his way? Uh, basically, uh, a reed that might have been bent or hanging, he's going to prop up in water and make sure that it gets healthy. Um, a, a flame that's about to go out, he's going to make sure it's not extinguished, but that it continues to burn. And that's what we saw. 
He came to a bruised reed named Matthew, who was a tax collector. And he didn't judge him and shame him. I can't believe you're stealing other people's money. No, in a gentle way, he said, Matthew, follow me. And he went to his house and he ate with him. And then there was this smoldering wick. It was a, a woman caught in adultery and everyone wanted to stone her. They said, she doesn't deserve to live because of what she's done. And Jesus talked to them about that and they all went away. But then in a gentle way, he says, woman, I don't condemn you. But go and leave your life of sin. And isn't that the way of Jesus with us? Doesn't he come to each one of us who have been arrogant at times and condescending at times and say, but son, daughter, I forgive you. <laughs> You're still in my family. And with that grace and mercy as displayed on the cross, he encourages us to go and do it better next time with the peace that we are his. Now again, I don't know everyone's context, but I wanted to say if you're new to Christianity, if you don't consider you have it all together, the greatest thing that we teach is that the cross of Jesus covers all of our sin. It's really not about our way and it's all about his way. And we hope that you see that. We hope that you know his love and have the peace that he won through the cross. But with that, it's not just good to be gentle and gain an audience with respect. It's also good to have an answer. And so let's talk about that answer. We have some confirmands who are like, Pastor, uh, when's it my time? Can you hurry this thing along? Because I got some nerves here. Um, by the way, I could tell you about nerves. Um, in my day, we used to be examined, um, and uh, they would ask all these questions, and we didn't know what question we were going to get because we had to have the whole catechism memorized. And I was a pastor's kid, so if I got it wrong, it looked really bad, friends. And, um, and so I, I had only one question. I'm like, only one. And thankfully, I got it right. But man, that was terrifying. Well, our goal is not to terrify you. That's why we had you present and, and write your essays. But it is our goal to hear your answer, to hear from you what you love about God. Because when you do that, when you say that, we will be encouraged. We will Praise the faith that you share, because we hold it to. So have fun with it. But as everyone else listens to our confirmands, I need to remind you adults, you're not off the hook. See, they might be speaking today here, but you are charged to go out into the workplace and into your neighborhood and with your friends and talk about the faith. It is for all of us to give an answer for the hope that we have. And may God so inspire you to have one. When this happens, when Christians are prepared, it's phenomenal what the response can be. In fact, I remember hearing of one who was so prepared and how it just stuck with me. His name was Monty Williams. And Monty Williams was an NBA coach who in 2016 had to say goodbye to his wife. He was left with five kids as his wife was in a car accident head-on, and she lost her life. And at the time, this made national news his speech. And it is probably the greatest sermon I've ever heard. He was prepared to talk about Jesus 
at a time that came all of a sudden. In fact, um, I would invite you to Google Monty Williams and the speech. It's, it's worth the time. It's worth the seven minutes. But I wanted to share with you just a, a few of the things he said. So here are the words. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain, but it will work out. Because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us just to numb that. That's not true. But it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside these walls and you'll know it's true. But this will work out. It's amazing how relevant those words are for COVID-19. How we could whine and complain of everything that went on, and yet the overarching statement, it will work out. The resurrection of Jesus makes it so. We win in the end. And so whatever you're going through, it's going to be all right. What a beautiful word. But he went on and he said more. He said, yes, there are people praying for me, but there were two involved in the accident. Pray for the other as well. And he encouraged people to pray for someone who naturally would be his enemy. Naturally, he had every reason to dislike. And that's the context of our letter. Do you know, when Peter was talking to Christians and, and telling them to, to, to love enemies and to share the faith, it, it was for enemies. It was for those who were hurting family members and making fun and threatening upon death. And yet he says, anyway, convert them. <laughs> share the gospel. Be gracious. And when it comes to gaining an audience, I don't know if you'll ever gain an audience more than when someone hurts you, but you show grace instead. When someone gives you a low blow, but you raise higher. When someone doesn't show love, but all you are is love in return, man, that's an audience. And that will speak of your confession of Jesus Christ, who while we were sinners, enemies ourselves, he died for us. But what I see through our confirmands and, and Monty Williams is this next takeaway. I see the need to work on your answer. And for some of you, maybe that is to commit to a class like what Dan Kaczynski is leading on, apologetics and defending the faith. For some of you, maybe it's, it's, it's ready to uh, invite people to church where we prepare an answer every Sunday. Uh, maybe for you it is it's giving your story of how God found you and brought you into his kingdom. Work on your answer. It's interesting that our lesson also talks about the answer of Jesus, that he had something to say. In fact, as we turn to these words, it says, After he was alive, he went and made proclamation to imprisoned spirits. Now, this is significant in the Christian church. If you've ever confessed, he descended into hell. Has anyone ever confessed, he descended into hell? We do that all the time in the Apostles' Creed. And this is actually the, the seat of doctrine, the seat of the teaching that leads to that phrase, he descended into hell. He, he, he made a proclamation. Now, some of you might wonder, you know, what is this all about? And so the descent into hell is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus' proclamation of victory over those who refused to believe in him. And so that's, that's why he went, not to convert them, but just basically 
to say there's victory. I love teaching about this in Starting Point, and the analogy I give is what we do in Chicago when baseball teams win. We throw a parade, don't we? And what's the purpose? Very simple. We won. We did it. No one can take it away. 2005, 2016. That's what Jesus did. In hell, lining up the demons and say, I did it. And you cannot hold down and you cannot create shame and guilt for those who are in me. For they're at peace and will live with me forever. You know, it's interesting that we get to be like Jesus because the message that we share, it's good news. The message that we share is one that can spread rapidly. It's amazing how quickly good news shared is spread. I remember hearing uh, when the CDC came out and said, maybe there will be a time where we have no masks. Um, I, I remember the, the word being shared of, of our second pastor coming this way. And if we remember that we have good news of a victory to share, let it spread. Let it compel us to go forward. Because those who are locked in guilt and shame can be set free. Because those who are wondering who's in control can know there's a God and Father in control. And those who wrestle with death can see the empty tomb and know that we can live with the Lord forever. As we share our faith, would you remember that we share victory? I apologize, didn't come up. We share victory. Amen. Please stand. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding May it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.